That's Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the, expression, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the firing into the burning, burning, fiery furnace. 
Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counsellors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Esther Ahn Kim was a music teacher in Korea in the 1930s. For 20 years, her country had been subjected to a brutal campaign of Japanization by Imperial Japan. Korean families were forced to make their names more Japanese. Speaking in Korean was made a punishable offence. And worshipping Japanese idols was made compulsory for all. But Esther Ahn Kim was a Christian. From childhood, her, her mother had brought her up to know that there is only one God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he alone can save. One day in 1939, she received an order from the authorities. Every child and teacher in the district was to come to a rally in the center of Seoul. And there... Everyone without exception was to pay homage to an image of the Japanese sun goddess. And if they refused, then they would be put in prison. She describes the day in her memoir. A strident order shrilled above the murmuring of the crowd. The people straightened line by line. We were accustomed to being subservient for we had been the captives of the Japanese for more than 37 years. An officer cried out, Our profoundest bow to the sun goddess. As one person, the entire crowd followed the shouted order by bending the upper half of their bodies solemnly and deeply. What was Esther to do? What would you have done? 
like her, we live in a world that is determined to make us conform to its ways. Every day, we feel its pressure tugging at us like the tide trying to pull us out to sea. And at certain moments in the lives of every Christian, that, that tide becomes a riptide. The pressure reaches breaking point. And we have to decide, whom will we worship? Whom will we serve? Well, Daniel 3 describes one such moment in the lives of three of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like Daniel, they were advisors in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar and therefore would have been familiar with the dream in Daniel 2. There, God had revealed to Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom was like the head of gold on a giant statue that would be followed by a succession of four different kingdoms before all of them were destroyed by God's own eternal kingdom. But rather like a a husband with selective hearing when his wife is trying to tell him something during match of the day, Nebuchadnezzar appears to have only heard three words, you, image, and gold. And so we find him at the beginning of this passage setting up a vast tribute to his own greatness, an image made not of different materials, but entirely of gold. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. At 60 cubits high, this gigantic statue would have been nearly twice as tall as St. Helen's. And every official in the kingdom from every corner of the globe is summoned to come and pay homage. Verse 2, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And verse 4, The herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to obey the king's command would be to break the very first commandment in the Bible, I am the Lord your God, You shall have no other gods before me. You can imagine them trying to figure out how they might quietly ignore the king's command. And so they might have done, had it not been for verse 8. Fed up with being outdone by these Jewish upstarts, a group of Chaldeans from the king's court maliciously accused them. And Nebuchadnezzar flies off the handle. He drags them into his throne room and demands an explanation. Verse 14, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God 
who will deliver you out of my hands. Now the pressure is really on. The current has become a riptide. It would be so easy for them to give in. Why risk everything to stay faithful to God? Well, the rest of Daniel 3 gives us two very clear reasons. Because though the world demands worship, its worship is a sham. But the Lord, the Lord deserves our worship because he alone can save. Those are going to be our two headings this evening. So firstly, the world demands worship, but it's a sham. See, it would be easy for us if Nebuchadnezzar had been a nasty one-off. But history shows us that he is no anomaly. Time and time again, the kingdoms of the world will follow his example, exalting their own gods and forcing people to worship them. From Rome and its imperial cult to Nazi Germany or imperial Japan. And the West is no exception to that. If you've been a Christian for more than two minutes, you'll know how aggressively the world tries to push its values. If you don't accept my right to be who I want to be, to love who I want to love, to believe what I want to believe... If you're even anything less than fully affirmative of my right as an individual to do whatever I want to do, you are evil, oppressive, bigoted. You deserve to be shunned. But Daniel exposes the world's worship for what it really is. It's a sham because it's God's a man-made Perhaps you notice the two words that are repeated in almost every sentence of verses 1 to 7. See if you can spot them. Verse 1 again. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plains of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Do you see what Daniel's saying? Well, the world's worship may look impressive, but it's a setup. Because its gods were set up by human hands. 
And once you realize that, doesn't all the pomp and circumstance of these verses start to look a little bit ridiculous? I take the sevenfold list of officials that gets repeated in verses 2 and 3. The satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. You can imagine them walking in, looking like Barty Crouch from Harry Potter, all the uh, officialdom in the kingdom. Or if that wasn't enough, then the sevenfold, of, sevenfold list of instruments in verses 4 to 7, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music. It's exhausting just reading it. I mean, it's almost like they're trying to compensate for something, isn't it? I remember thinking something similar during the king's coronation last May. I'm sorry if you're a huge royal fan and I've just massively offended you, but it's true, isn't it? There you are watching Westminster Abbey on BBC One and it's packed to the rafters with princes and presidents, lords and ladies, knights and noblemen. There's the coronation chair with the stone of destiny underneath and there's a choir singing Zadok the priest and Hugh Edwards is telling you how it's been used and sung at every coronation since 1727. And it's almost like they're trying to compensate for something, isn't it? Yes, we know that technically the king has no authority or power to do anything. But look, there's Penny Mordaunt with a big sword. (laughs) Well, the world can summon as many swords and officials and instruments and fiery furnaces as it likes. Its worship is a sham. Because what it worships is man-made. You know, I'd never particularly thought about this before. But what if the reason our society makes such a song and a dance about its values is because deep down it knows they're made up? I mean, it's obvious that not everyone can be right. It's obvious that we can't all be whatever we want to be. It's obvious that people can't just believe whatever they want to believe. Imagine the kind of world that that would produce. And so to make its values look sort of semi-plausible, the world has to compensate. It has to have a day for this and a day for that. To get people to constantly demonstrate their support for things on social media and threaten them with exclusion if they refuse. But it only takes one person to point out that the emperor has no clothes and the spell is broken. The world demands worship, but it's a sham. Behind the smokescreen, its gods are a setup. But the Lord, the Lord can actually save. Which brings us to our second point. The Lord deserves worship because he saves. Back in verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar had defiantly challenged God. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands, he said. It's always dangerous to ask questions like that in the Bible. And God gives Nebuchadnezzar exactly the answer he didn't expect. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship his image, he has them bound and thrown into a fiery furnace. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Things aren't looking good for God's faithful servants. But at precisely this moment, the passage turns from sinister to comical. In a moment of counterproductive self-harm, worthy of wily Coyote and Looney Tunes, Nebuchadnezzar has the furnace heated so hot, it actually kills his own soldiers, verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men themselves are miraculously delivered. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Commentators debate who this fourth figure in verse 25 might be. Some think it might be a pre-incarnate vision of the Lord Jesus. Personally, I think it's more likely to be an angel. That's at least how Nebuchadnezzar describes him in verse 28. But either way, the point is the same. God is with his people, even in the fire. And he is so powerful that he can literally suspend the laws of physics so that the flames don't hurt them. Indeed, his power is so great, they don't even smell of smoke. Verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Last term on one of our weekends away, we had a bonfire at Ashburnham. And I remember thinking as I packed, I must take some clothes with me that I'm happy to get smoky. And I wasn't even planning on going in the fire. I was just planning to stand next to it for a while. But God's power is so great These three men don't even smell of smoke. Isn't that a God worthy of worship? A few weeks ago, I was chatting to my friend about this passage. We were talking about the way that the world often tries to force and compel people and frog march them into worshipping its gods and accepting its values. And my friend stopped and he said, the thing is, If they were really gods, you'd think they wouldn't need so much force. People might actually just worship them willingly. And that's exactly what we see here. The God of the Bible does not need force. 
He doesn't need a ceremonial sword or, or seven different public officials or seven different instruments or the threat of a burning fiery furnace. All he needs is to put his great saving power on display. And it's obvious that he alone is worthy of worship. It's why Nebuchadnezzar responds as he does. Having started by calling all the nations to worship his image, he ends by calling them to honor this God. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. The world may demand worship, but its gods are a sham. The Lord deserves worship because he alone can save. And that means we should stand firm and worship him only however intense the pressure. It would have been so easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to make excuses, wouldn't it? You can imagine some of the things that their, their fellow Jews might have been saying, those who did compromise and bow down to the image. Oh, well, if your conscience forbids you from bowing down. Personally, I'm happy to bow down to the image in a professional capacity. I'm not acknowledging it personally. I'm only paying legal obedience to the king. I'm not acknowledging him spiritually. And anyway, hasn't God called us to these positions of influence within Babylon? He wouldn't want us to give them up now, would he? Not when we can do so much good with these positions he's given us. That's why I love the straightforward integrity of verses 16 to 18. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. Aren't those three words at the start of verse 18 striking? But if not, they have no guarantee that God will save them, but they know he can, that he's powerful to save. And the fact that he can is proof enough that he alone deserves their worship. It was proof enough, too, for Esther Ahn Kim. Unlike the men in Daniel 3, she wasn't saved from the fire. For over five years, she suffered in a Japanese prison cell. But she knew that God was still her saviour. 
And as she was standing in that rally in the center of Seoul, she recalled the words of this passage and writes about it again in her memoir. But if not, even if God didn't save them from the burning fire, they would die honoring him. I was going to make the same decision. With God's help, I would never bow before the Japanese idol, even if he did not save me from the hands of the Japanese. I was saved by Jesus. I could bow only before God, the father of my savior. I felt as though I could already see the burning furnace yawning before me. While we walked, I prayed. I knew what I was going to do. Today, on the mountain, before the large crowd, I will proclaim that there is no other God beside you. Well, when we face our own moments of decision, they may not feel as clear or as obvious as those in Daniel 3 or Esther's story. They may even feel entirely harmless. A colleague asking, you don't really believe that, do you? Or an email asking us to show support for some cause. Or a friend pressing another drink into our hands when we know you've had too much. Or a family member over half term. You're not one of those Christians, are you? Standing firm in those moments will be hard. It may require us to suffer. We may not be saved from the fire like Esther. We may have to suffer for his sake. But we know that God is with us, even in the flames. We know that he's our savior. That his son, Jesus Christ, died and is risen. That he is for us. That he is interceding for us at the right hand of the father. That he will bring us safely through death. Through the eternal fire of hell even. Into everlasting life and peace. Whom else could we worship but him? Let's pray together. Father, you alone are mighty to save, strong in power, and your salvation is very great indeed. We praise you for your son, the Lord Jesus, our saviour. And we pray that however great the pressure of the world, we may only ever serve and worship him. And we pray in his name. Amen.